There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I got my eyes on you, and you post a card blue. I want you all of an emotion, endlessly. We can't get over you, and you post a card blue. I want you all of an emotion, endlessly. Cause you're a fiend and you know it. Angie, You're better than anything happened to me. Hello listeners, this is Windy from the Windy City, which I discovered yesterday isn't a reference to the wind, but rather a reference to hot air that politicians were speaking about Chicago at some point in history, which I enjoyed. Um, I found out about that on the architectural boat tour, which was absolutely stunning. So good. Um, loads of you recommended it, so thank you for that. Um, really making the most of the recommendations. It's been really helpful. We are uh, staying up the road from Revolution Brewing, which is an incredible brewery, really, really good beer, super friendly service, and a nice place to be. So we've been there a couple of times already, and we'll probably be there most days, to be honest. Um, on Tuesday evening, around 6, we plan to be at Corridor Brewing, which is up by Wrigley Field. Uh, there's a few ex-subs going to come and some Chicago Spurs folk to come and say hi and have a drink. If anyone's listening and is a Chicago local, you're very welcome to come down there on Tuesday evening and say hi. Um, I'm the skinny, bald English guy. I'll be wearing something Spursy. I'll be with my best mate, Roger who is a Wickham Wanderers fan. It would be very entertaining to me if you came armed with some sort of uh, fact about Wickham Wanderers to befuddle Roger. I think he would he would enjoy that. Um, yeah, I hope to see some of you there. And otherwise, I will be back on the pod next week. Mm, mm, yes, yes. Normally, Windy starts the podcast by Borderland shouting the word welcome, peeking his microphone, and then never reaching anywhere close to that volume again through the rest of the podcast. But this week, he's sitting in a very, very gentle, a very ASMR voice note. So we're going to carry on from that theme. I am your tactics guy, Nathan May Clark, and I'm joined by our sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Good day, Nathan. <laughs> good, good day, mate. How you doing, man? How was um how was not watching Spurs uh this weekend? It's quite amazing. It could have ruined my weekend. It was quite nice. I'm enjoying the space and the separation, even though we seem to be in the media every single second <laughs> of every single day. And um all the aggregator sites and our good our good solid X sub Cal the aggregator has loads of content to send our way. So it's good. That I'm not watching us lose, but I would like a little bit more escapism. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we just got we just got here we go <laughs> just after hitting record, as if that means anything compared to you know serious journalists. <laughs> as, the in the day. as the tap in man, he's yeah. confirmed it. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Here we That's go. Huge shout out to Toby Alderweireld who um, came true on his promise, returned to his boyhood club uh, and scored a league-winning goal. Um, also at Harry Kane, that could be cool. Don't know. Um, 
I mean, um, they say that romance or nothing in football is romantic anymore. It's all been sterilised, so there's nothing left in the game. It's not, it's not proper anymore. But that was, that was something else. That was a film. It really was uh, an incredible, incredible moment. I love it. I love that. I, yeah. I, I won that for us. <laughs> I, won that for I mean, us it's so not. <laughs> It's not even like it was a back post tap-in or mm. something like that. He properly whacked it into the top corner to win the league. That's that. That's a film. That's a proper film. All right, so I haven't put together a video at this stage on, a, on account of the curse. I've only done a sort of a, a surface amount of research over the last few days, trying to hold myself back despite um, really <laughs> feeling the urge. Um, but I am quite familiar with Postacoglu, um, following for, for quite a bit of the last season or so. And, um, obviously I did a small bit on him for the, the initial multi-coach video that I did a while back. Um, how are you feeling about, about the prospect of Postacoglu being announced in the next couple of days? I mean, I don't know whether it's because of just missing a, a figure that I want him in and I'm quite happy to have anybody in at the moment. But I, I think I'm, I'm pretty excited, but I'm also cautious. You have to remember that the last two big managers that we've appointed, I've been very on board with mm. and very pro and, and really nailed my colours to the master, been all in on those managers to the point where I've, I've wanted to bury our footballers over and, and protect the manager. So I, I'm a bit more cautious this time. I'm waiting to see what happens. But it's, it seems the things I've heard, the things I've seen seem quite nice. Of course, it's, a, it's one of those that we seem to have flipped within one week from being pure hmm. Arnie, the, the Arnie Slot army to now we're Big Angie's army. So that gives me a little bit of caution. But I'm, I'm excited for it. It's just nice to have a manager in place. And some, we can start now. The preseason starts now. Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel that. I definitely think um, think when you read when you read the puff pieces, um, mm. you you get emotionally invested in a coach, and then it's hard to um, it's hard to do that several times in the space of one window. But for me, uh, for me, Postecoglou, not only is he one of the better tactical options on the market, I think he is also the leading vibes candidate. When you when you and the clips are going all around Twitter right now, which is great. Um, mm. but he speaks so well. He speaks better than, than anyone in my, in my opinion. Um, I think, I feel like he has, um, um, a sort of an emotional maturity that's probably missing from a lot of top level coaches that is like, is so far different from, from Conte and Mourinho. <laughs> that's kind of the antidote, uh, what we need. Um, I find him to be a really, really likable guy. And it's not all just like, don't get the impression there that it's just, it's all underbelly because there are also plenty of clips going around of him shouting and screaming when he, when he feels that that is appropriate. Um, but yeah, he, he, he talks such a good game. And I think that he also backs it up with, with genuine tactical news. So I have a couple of my concerns are, so maybe we, maybe we can go through this because I'm not as well versed in. Yeah, because I know you guys have been talking about him for, for quite a while. Um, the first time I heard about him being linked was, was listening to you and Wendy. But I have a, I have a question regarding, so his personality, he says a lot of nice stuff, but my concerns here that they always seem to come from a position of power. Things never really have gone that bad for him at Celtic. He's walked in there, done a great job from the start. No, so it's, I do think it's easier to come across as a nice guy guy when when things are working well for you well he had a slightly slow start at celtic which i wouldn't be shocked to see here by the way we'll come back to that um but he was up against it he, his arrival um in scotland was quite similar to the level of um uh doubt that he's seeing from quite a few spurs mm. fans at the moment um he was his arrival was mocked the intro i'm going to put on the beginning of this episode is a is a joke song by a Rangers fan taking the piss out of the um, announcement that is actually accidentally a banger. <laughs> um, so, but, so he, so he was kind of up against it um, and, and, and being up against it, you know, at the biggest club in Scottish football, isn't a small thing. There was also um, way earlier in his career when he was managing the Australian youth team, um, he didn't, there was a period of time where results weren't going his way. Um, and this is a period of time when people thought results was what mattered. <laughs> and you thought, well, then he went on like an Australian talk show and had like a, a full on back and forth <laughs> argument with the host. And that seemed to set his career back up quite a while, to be, to be honest. Um, so I mean, he's been up against it. He's been up against it and, and, and ridden it out. Uh, that's kind of what I mean. It's not just that he, not just that he speaks well when things are already going his way, but I think he's able to, to, to find ways to motivate players when his back's up against the wall a bit. 
Okay, that's um, that kind of calms me down a little bit because I always do think it's like when we were winning, Conte was just saying all the right things. Sure. Uh, same with Jose and then the moment things turn bad that's when it gets a bit toxic and they start blaming other people but I saw his um, his on the field speech after they won the league and he was very complimentary to his team and he really did make it like nothing about him which is mm. which is quite nice to see the other question is um, you know there's a there's a 100 million pound question in the room is is Harry Kane does he play with a big dude up top um, well he did use uh, Tim Cahill when he was Australian national team manager. Um, I have I have fought the urge to go and watch much in the way of Brisbane Roar <laughs> or or his um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where do you, where does he even start doing that? Where like where would you find that? It's it's like, it's possible. I, you know, okay. I've got my I've got my means. <laughs> <laughs> I I tell you what, I, I watched. I I because the first thing I do is to see if there's easily available stuff. So I go onto YouTube or whatever, and there's a YouTube compilation of the goals they scored that season, and it's in like 140p. It's like you've got no idea what's going on. It might as well be like a slideshow of goals. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, cool. It looks like they're kind of occupying space in an interesting way. It looks like they're probably playing a four-three-three, but all the clips and and classic like compilation style start like a moment before the goal is scored like uh, you see like the final pass and you got no idea what's going on so i was like okay sure yeah that's whatever um i haven't i haven't watched his j-league clips i fought the urge to to watch his j-league clips even though i i kind of really want to <laughs> but um the impression i'm getting certainly the case at celtic is that he likes his number nine to be a fast in behind runner at celtic he uses kyojo um for that role and yeah his whole job is just 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 working the channels, just being a threat in behind, uh, an off-ball mover and a finisher, who, in my opinion, that son in our squad um, rather than anyone else. Um, and on that note, kind of similarly to when I analysed the squad ahead of um, when I thought Arna Schlock was going to come in, he prefers his wingers to stay quite wide. So for me, Sun better suits the centre-forward role than he does a left-winger role. But having said that, it's less it's less fixed in place than it is with Schlott. So with Schlott, it's like the wingers remain on the touchline or they can carry in from the touchline to the box, but they don't They do not do like diagonal runs off the ball. Whereas you kind of see that a little more with, with Postacoglu. In fact, let, let's do this real quick. So um, basically he has, he has three wingers at Celtic, right? He has um, Jota, who can play both sides, and then he has Maeda and Abada. And um, I forget which way they are, but they're each dedicated to a certain flank. Jota plays both sides. So what he normally does is he picks one of those two, and those guys are sort of more inside forwards. They're goal scorers, they're assisters, they get in the box, and they, they do final third stuff. And they've got Jota, who's more of a dribbler, carrier, stays out wide guy. And so he'll swap which combination of wingers he has depending on the opponents or which side things are favouring or just for rotation. So maybe there's a case that, that Sun can do a, a job from wide, but um, the combination of the type of forwards that Postacoglu's system tends to favour, the way that his teams occupy space, um, and the tendency for his wings to stay relatively wide, I feel like Sun is the number nine in that in that setup. Okay, so if we sell Kane, so because this is the, this is the other thing, right? So we we had a we had a manager who was wedded to his beliefs, like to the detriment in the end of the, of his own Spurs career. So if we get Postecoglou, he will and keep Kane. He will have to adapt. He will have to change how he plays to to get the best out of Kane because Kane's not running behind any 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 back line anytime soon. So he will go. He will have to adjust how he plays to suit Harry Kane. Something that concerns me a little bit is we we had a manager in Antonio Conte who, to his detriment, followed his tactics and refused sure. to to switch from that. So now, if we keep Harry Kane for next season, we're going to ask a manager who we've appointed based on his footballing principles to change how he plays to suit Harry Kane because Harry Kane's not running in behind anytime soon. How how does that make you feel? I think I think there's multiple solutions. I think that um, I think that Kane is a quality of player that. Um, like even if he's not your optimal profile for a given task he's brilliant and that is that is enough so if you played harry kane as your number nine there's no harm done right yeah yeah you're gonna score a lot of goals you know maybe you're a bit more crossing a little less running in behind fine whatever um but i also think that there's a way of making it work where you play a 4-4-2 um that becomes 
um, the two three five in possession that is fundamental to the way the protocol will be. So so normally um, it, like it gets described as a four three three, and what happens is the fullbacks tuck in, the wingers stay wide, and the two number rates in the midfield push up nice and high. So you've got a front five of two wingers, two midfielders, and a centre forward. For me, you can achieve the same kind of spatial occupation playing a 4-4-2 where Kane drops into one of the channels and, and becomes kind of like a number 10 in that situation. Um, or or you play a 4-3-3 with Sun White and Kane up top. I don't think that there's a really a wrong answer. I think, you know, you, you try out both for a while. You see what works, what doesn't work. You tweak things. I don't think that he... I mean, again, going back to his, his Australian team, um, he played the back three for a period of time. So I don't think that he's so formationally rigid um, or profile rigid that um, that we're absolutely stuck um, in terms of trouble. I mean, the, the thing is, I, I do feel that way, but I also think that our squad is really far removed from the football that we want to play. So I'm talking about, um, yes, the profiles, yes, the fact that we've got wing backs and a really stodgy midfield profile five times over. Um, and we've got kind of two out and out forwards who are aged and can't press, right? All of those legitimate problems. Um, but also I think that Postacoglu can adapt quite well. So I think that there's kind of a middle ground. I think I just mentioned that his Australia team played a back three. I don't see him doing that with Spurs. I don't think that's likely. I wouldn't write it off completely, but I think that we need to find a way to transition towards inverted fullbacks. And I think that that is kind of the big difficulty with our squad is that we've got Poro and Yudoji, who are very attacking wing backs. I did a video on on Yudoji that's up on Patreon. Um, did you watch it? By the way, you tweeted as if you watched it. But I suspect that that's just your uh, that's just your marketing ploy. No, no, I, I did watch it. Did. I did watch it. I, I was going to say after watching that, I think I, I'm filled with a bit more confidence that Yudoji could step inside mm. and be reasonably adept there. I think he I think he's got enough natural talent and and kinesthetic. Is that, yeah, is yeah, that that's the, word? the one. <laughs> His his kinesthetic ability <laughs> is, uh, works enough for him in that midfield that he understands the game and sees it and reads mm. it well enough to be able to step in as and when he's needed. I'm less I'm a bit more concerned about Poro, but yeah. I think I think if you said he if he likes his wingers to stay wide, I don't see why Poro can't play further forward in this formation. Yeah, I th- and I think that I I put up some formations on Twitter, um, a few different ideas that sort of all again arrive at that two three five set up in in advanced possession. So I think that there's a way you can do things where maybe you play Davies um, as as a as a deep left back maybe Udoji can fulfill that role um and Poro is wide and Kulosevsky tucks in and he behaves like a central midfielder like a like an advanced number eight so there's ways of making that work I think um even if you go as far as like on paper you call it a 4-3-3 because Kulosevsky is kind of a number eight and then Poro is a right winger but sure whatever I mean it sort of doesn't really matter what you call it (laughs) right um but yeah I think to me yeah, Yudoji is so raw and so talented that he could be molded into a few different things, including even just an outright box-to-box midfielder, to be honest. Um, although, obviously, a significant amount of coaching is required if you if you want to do make those kinds of changes. Whereas Poro, I think, does create some issues, which is why we should not have bought him last January when we knew Conte wasn't going to sign an extension, and that's the point we made at the time. But he is a very talented player, so now it's like, well, you've got to make use of him because you spent a bunch of money on a really, really good player. So let's work it out. But again, I, I think that there are ways of working out. I think it's probably going to be a lopsided back four with, with Poro high on the right and a, and a left side fullback tucked in. I mean, I think um, Yudoji has been playing left wing because in Italy, once again, he's playing for Udinese, who are, who are a terrible, terrible football yeah. team. So it's often the way that you can kind of get the best out of his attacking and his kind of energy going forward without kind of risking him in a defensive position. So that's it's a very kind of risk-averse way to play him, almost like, um, yeah, yeah, very risk-averse way to play him. I think he's, I think he's smart enough. I think he's good enough to be taught into how to in, into how to play their left back role. There's a lot of him in that video that reminded me of Carl Walker, the ability, just his acceleration and recovery, yeah. 
and just reading of um, kind of one-on-one defending. Just gets he just gets in the right place, and he he trusts himself, and he sees to see the game really nicely. So um, I, I have a lot of faith that he'll be able to do it. That that he'll be able to fit into a back four. Yeah, yeah, but. Um, some work is needed in that squad for sure. Like we've got a lot of players to go out. We said this last week, a lot of players to go out and a lot of different profiles that are just completely missing from the squad to bring in. And again, depending on whether Sun plays as the centre forward or Sun plays on the left wing, you either need to bring in a number 10 or a, or an advanced number eight type player, or you need to bring in um, a creative left winger to fill the void that, that Sun will be leaving there. Um, in addition to a goalkeeper, a left centre back, and a, a creative number six. At Celtic, the number six role is played by uh, Callum McGregor, who, to be fair, um, prior to Postecoglou coming in, was kind of more of a up-and-down, box-to-box number eight, which might make you think that, oh, well, you know, Basuma is kind of of that mould. He's spent a lot of time being an up-and-down player, and maybe, and, and he's also more recently spent more time being moulded into a number six. But I just think that... I just think that the technical level needs to be so much higher um, for a team who want to sort of dominate matches in the Premier League that you really need like a true creative number six for that role for us. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes Celtics do have do have problems or have had problems when uh, McGregor's been man-marked out of games and they need to find another way to, to work the ball through midfield. Um, and, and there's too much... Um, too much strain on the fullbacks to do with their their midfield progression. So I think that if we we want to try to avoid that problem, we've got to have a really really technically creatively gifted number six. Um, I'm just going to quickly scan our questions and see if anyone has mentioned Ndombele by name. No, no, no one has yet. But okay. I just I, without sounding all purple and gold, which is like <laughs> yep. what I don't want to do. <laughs> So um, we we know there's got to be a lot of churn. We're going to have to sell a lot of players, mm. move them on, and then invest in individuals that 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 suit his style. Do you have faith that this can happen? I have faith that this could happen. In that recent reporting is that we have finished or are about to finish overhauling our recruitment process. We're going to be much more heavily database. We're going to bring in a head of recruitment slash director of football, maybe leaning more towards a just a head of recruitment type figure. Um that we're investing heavily in data that 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 Levy's been talking to bookmakers about developing database models. Yeah, I think I think that we could well be heading in the right direction. However, it also looks like we're about to announce our head coach without having first announced our head of recruitment slash director of football. And the other thing with that is that Bosakoglu, as far as I'm aware, hasn't worked with the director of football before in his career. That um that he rightly deserves quite a lot of credit for bringing in a number of J-League players to his Celtic side and Mm. that maybe he'll feel like he's really good at doing that and therefore he will try to get as much power and sway in recruitment as he can. And hey, maybe he's the chosen one and maybe he takes charge of recruitment and knocks out the park. In my opinion, we shouldn't be gambling on that idea because that's just not the way that an elite level football club is run. So it feels very up in the air. I, I very curious to know uh, who our head of recruitment is going to be, how much power and sway they have, because in my opinion, they need to have a lot and how heavily data driven our recruitment is. You know, I, I think it can be done. <laughs> I'm just a little tentative that we're definitely going to get it right. Yeah, I put a little tweet out about how many players people expect us to sell. And it, I've had answers from anywhere from 10 to 15. And it, that's an incredible churn yeah. of individuals. Yeah. Well, um, the reporting coming out is that we've put seven players up for sale at the beginning of this window. And I think in addition to that, I've already mentioned it by name, Postacoglu needs to come and have a look at Ndombele, have a look at Lo Celso, have a look at Hill, have a look at Spence <laughs> and make decisions on all of them. Anyone else? Regulon? Maybe he's already up for sale. Um, but yeah, we've got a lot lot of outgoings to go and maybe some of those are going to be another year of, of pre-sale loans just to get some players off the books. Um, uh, do you want to talk about Ndombele? Yeah, let's do it because our Discord, those lot love Ndombele and there's there's been quite a bit of excitement this morning yeah. about um about how he could fit into this. I'm I, I'm like you, I had a lot of hope and a lot of faith in Ndombele when he arrived, but then things haven't worked out for him and I'm now at the position where I would sell him at a major loss just to move on from the conversation, but I'm willing to um give him another go if um Postacoglu thinks that he can make if he could get a tune out of him. 
Yeah, man. Yeah, I um. So there was there was reporting the other day that Anobile wants to return to Spurs, thinks he can make it at Spurs. There's this profile gap in the squads that yeah, potentially Ndombele could play as a number six. I think that he he played that a couple of games for us, um, but he kind of like Udoji, kind of like Poro, is very um. Uh, what's the opposite of averse? <laughs> <laughs> of averse, like he's he's pro, he's pro risk. <laughs> he's oh, okay. he's risk favoring. <laughs> he likes to take man. risks. Yeah, he's yeah. a madman. Um, whereas I think you you want your number six to be a little bit safer, but not all the other way to where you're playing Hoiberg as number six, right? You'll be you'll be pleased to hear. <laughs> yeah, there's the, there's that clip that's doing the rounds where he's yeah. screaming at someone for passing it back. Mm. Um, and everybody has said this seems that this will be the end of Shoibiak. I'm not sure it will be. I think I just don't think we'll we'll move him on as well. I think he'll not remain this, part of the squad. I don't think he'll go this summer, but I think he'll be going next summer or next January. Because because obviously he's he is buddy. He is a good player, right? He's a capable player. So I think that he'll he will be around to help us transition through the next season, to, to fill minutes yeah. here and there, to sometimes play in the midfield too as we're working things out, to be a senior figure, to be a safe pair of hands. And then next season when we look to take mm. the step up, um, that's when we, we move on from Hoibjerg, I personally suspect. I, I think so. I, I've called him a cement mixer because I, I think it's more to do about how, how he plays and his style of football rather than the fact that I think he's rubbish. I don't think he's rubbish. He's a, um, he's a player who's played at international level and does fine when he's um, mm. in, in a system that suits him. I just think we've had him in a cr- critical or crucial part of our formation and it just breaks down whenever it comes to him because of he, he just doesn't have that in his locker. But I think... I think I think I think there's a I think there's room for him next season, but I would like us to see us move on from him. I've been frustrated at him having such a key role in our team. So Ndombele, I watched a fair bit of his his Napoli loan. Um, part of the problem is that Napoli's midfield is is one really really exceptional um, uh, and also similar in profile to him. So he wasn't adding something sort of different. He was just adding direct backup to a couple of them. Um, also, none of them ever got injured or suspended right until the very end of the season where he comes in and he plays against Milan in Champions League semi-final. And I thought that he was having a really, really, really good game um, up until he miscontrolled the ball in midfield. Raphael picked it up and then he dribbled nearly the entire length of the pitch and, and assisted <laughs> the, the vital goal. Um, I don't know. I just... There's this thing with Ndombele... Um, that is was very apparent all through his time at Spurs, and has has been apparent in what I've seen in small bits um, for Napoli, where he's like he doesn't move to get on the ball, like he's not actively seeking to receive the ball. And this is kind of, the thing with this is that this is how I feel kind of about all midfielders all the time. So I'm towards the opposite extreme, where I think midfielders should always be looking for for escapes from their marker, um, whereas. The genuine, general sort of coaching uh, meta-tactical approach appears to be allow your midfielders to be man marks because that opens up space further in. Right, anyway, a bit of a, a bit of a tangent there. I feel like no, I'd... but I'm quite curious. I'm quite curious in this. Um, you, you've often spoke spoke about um, Dembele being like your favourite midfielder. Yeah. Is that is that your favourite type of midfielder? Because he's someone who would just use his um, just skill and physicality mm. to create space rather than bursting into into space. Man, yeah. So so under Pochettino, there was a number of games where we were being pressed by the opposition. And it's like, if we could just get the ball to Dembele, we would break this team. We'd get the ball forward and we'd score chances. But because we're playing, you know, Eric Dyer or Wanyama as the more defensive player, they're the midfielder who receives the ball first and, and Dembele stays in place. And I'm thinking, there's got to be a smarter way to do this. You've got to swap those two around in possession or allow Dembele to move over into the fullback position to receive the ball. Let's get him on the ball earlier. And we did that a handful of times, but nowhere near enough, in my opinion. The thing with Dembele is that he is so absurdly good that you can pass the ball to him when he has a player climbing all over his back and he can still turn with it. So we got away with it a few times. Um, but I have a general thing uh, about about um, failure to find midfielders and build up. It's something to be fair that Conte was actually quite good at. We were we remained quite smart at um, until the very end with Conte finding ways to get Hoybier to 
move in between the defenders or, or skip to move into the wing back zones and things like that. Um, so I guess Conte is my guy or whatever. But anyway, and Dombele, um, cause when I, when I was, um, I did a video at the beginning of, of, uh, of last season now, um, under Nuno where for 45 minutes, he would run the game in in the short number of games he played in that period of time. And then in the next half, he would just like run away from the play and not be involved at all. And we'd fall apart as a team. And it's like, how much of that is Nuno's weird emptying midfield tactics? And how much of that is, is either a weird stylistic tweak of a Ndombele's game? Or is it just that he isn't fit enough and he can't, he's not fit enough to receive the ball. And so he's just going to hide from the play and rest and recover for a bit. And, and is that, or why is that still the case? Like a full season on his time at, at Napoli, has he not managed to build match fitness with an entire season working on the Spalletti? Is that just because he's not been playing and starting games? Would he build up to that if he did? Or is he a player who's just never going to be sufficiently fit enough to play elite level football for more than half a game ever? Because if it's that one, if that's the case, if he just doesn't have the necessary fitness ceiling, either physiologically, like some people, um, just just are never going to be a marathon runner, right? No matter how hard they tried, they just don't have that that ceiling. Um, especially people who have like um, issues with their ribs that affect their breathing, which I don't think is the case with the double. I'm just saying that's a thing. Um, or is it just he's like not applying himself mentally, and all of the stereotypes about him being lazy just happen to be true? Because um, if if it's either of those, like there's not much point. Like even if tactically, technically, he can adapt to the role. If he can only play it for forty five minutes, move on. <laughs> you know. So I I'm kind of really uh, it's really up in the air for me with Ndombele. I I need to know. I need to talk to the Napoli fitness team basically. Or just um, put him on an operating table and take a couple of ribs out and see what happens. <laughs> They're a prince. Um, <laughs> I had somebody tweet me, um, RZ, oh, 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 all the O's. And he says, um, Postacoglu doesn't even play with attacking fullbacks. That's the bare minimum requirement. Seems more of the same to me. Is that true? Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't really know where to begin with that. No, he, he, <laughs> he tucks his fullbacks in. Mm. Um, somewhat defensively like midfielders so that our entire front five can be outright attackers. It's a really, it's a really um, attacking way of seeing the game. It's the way that City play under Guardiola, that company, uh, the Burnley play under company, that yes, unfortunately, Arsenal play under Arteta. Um, mm. it, it's the way that, that heavy possession teams tend to favour playing. Um, yeah. Talk... I want this is totally off topic, but you you've mentioned Guardiola, so you've opened a little window for me. Talk to me about John Stones. What's going on there? Okay, um, so because John McKenzie won't stop talking about friend of the podcast, John McKenzie won't stop talking about John Stones. So tell me what's happened. Here. All right, so like I said, you have got this thing where most of the the top teams are doing this thing where they make a two three five in possession, right? Mm. And you you bring your fullbacks and they tuck in in front of your defenders when you're building out from the back and then you get a front five and that's really cool and um pep kind of made that a thing and now everyone's doing it and now of course because he's pep he's gone actually we could do better than this right <laughs> so the problem with that is the space in the wide areas when you get counterattacked on right your fullbacks are tucked in your wingers are way up the pitch if someone spanks it down the wing it's a foot race between your center back and their winger and the centre backs, they don't like to be dragged over to their own to to the touchline and and pretend to be a fullback. Um, and they can get done that way. And, and when you're City, basically the only type of attack that you ever face is a counter attack, right? So it's about preparing for that. So um, you've got Akanji and Ake, who are these sort of more fullback type centre backs, and then you're making your back three with them so they're comfortable going into wide areas and then John Stones moves up forward from centre-back from where they're defending to being a midfielder and um, basically I think that John Stones is the only recognised centre-back in the world who's good enough to play as a real genuine midfielder in possession. Um, You think about... I was actually talking to John about this the other night, right? (laughs) Think about Eric Dyer. How how Eric Dyer played a big mixture of centre back and centre midfield, and when he was a centre midfielder, he was alright. He was pretty good, you know. Um, he he adapted his defensive game well, and when the ball was in front of him, he's got he had some technical quality, right? He could pick out a pass from midfield. 
However, when the ball is behind him, you put any centre back in that position. When the, when 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 his team is building up the ball behind him, he doesn't know where to go. He doesn't know where to stand. He doesn't know which way to orientate his hips. He can't receive on the turn. Right. Uh, that, uh, this isn't me laying into Eric Dyer. This is every mm. centre back in the world except for John Stones because John Stones, it turns out, is every bit as good a midfielder as some of the best midfielders in the world, and it's it's crazy. It's crazy that he can do that. Okay, but he so he no longer plays centre back. He just moves up into midfield. Fine, that's 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 pretty that's much put that to bed. Fine. I was curious about it because everybody it, it seems to be the the topic of the week. So yeah, I mean, the, the, for for a long long time, we we've been talking about uh, a back four that becomes a back three in possession, whereas they're doing the, the kind of the opposite version of that with with Stones leaving defence to go and become a midfielder. I mean, it makes life easier if you've got Diaz, Walker and Akanji to, to leave behind you as well. True. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So let's talk about Harry Kane. Um, this in the news coming out in the last week or so has been him turning down Bayern Munich, but also been strongly linked to Real Madrid, and then almost instantly, um, Real Madrid's forward Benzema um, has been confirmed to be leaving this summer um, to I don't even know which team to to a, to the Saudi Arabian League. Um, so obviously they need a, a new number nine. Kane's the best number nine in the world, basically. He also stylistically fits Benzema. Um, Kane's been been ready to leave Spurs, maybe in a, in a in a way <laughs> for a while, and now he is entering just about to enter the last year of his contract. Um, so Windy's not on this episode to fight his corner, <laughs> and Windy feels the way that I think most Spurs fans feel. And you and I are the weirdos, buddy. So I'm going to read out Wendy's tweet. Mm. He says, Would I give up 80 million to 100 million pounds and risk losing Kane on a free next season? Yes. Because one, he's our club's greatest ever player and sentimentality is extremely important. And two, um, having him gives us the best chance of getting back into the Champions League next season, which could end up actually justifying the, the opportunity cost of, of not receiving the money for him this summer. He goes on to say, that said, if he makes it clear that he does want to go to Real Madrid, I think this time we do actually need to let him leave for a fair price. I'd also want us to get that deal done early so he doesn't hang over the club all summer. Um, and then he says, greetings from Chicago. Yeah, um, I I definitely feel um, a little bit mystified by, by Spurs fans who feel this way. Um, for me, I think that it's total, total malpractice for a club to allow a, a, a quality player to enter the final year of their contract on basically any circumstances, unless they're retiring, I guess, would be the only um, the only thing. Because you lose control. Um, you lose control over getting any money for their the rights to their contract. You also lose control over where they might go. Right, so... If you feel the same as Windy on sentimentality grounds, I'm, I'm completely sympathetic to that. But I also think mm-hmm. on the same grounds, you can't choose for him to go to Real Madrid or Bayern Munich over Man United or, heaven forbid, Chelsea or Arsenal, right? You lose control over that. And we just, I just don't think that we can ever allow that to happen. How do you feel, Barty? It's a, it's a really difficult one because I get what Windy's saying about the sentimentality. And 
But then I also agree with you and I have agreed with you for a long time about always selling. You sell your assets when they're at their highest value. I think part of the problem with Spurs at the moment is we have a, a collection of assets who um, who aren't worth anything anymore because we held on to them for too long. Eric Dyer should have been sold when he was at the peak of his powers. Um, I think if Postacoglu thinks that his formation works better with a more mobile number nine, you have to have to go with that. And if he's all right with us selling Kane, then I think we 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 have to sell Kane for as much money as we can even though it's a horrible thing to consider there is no more there is no room for sentimentality here because you're right he could just turn around and go to Arsenal next summer for free and that's a, that's a real fear um so I, I think I'd probably agree if we get a hundred million pound offer we we have to sell him yeah yeah that's how it all so I I don't think that he would go to Arsenal I don't think that he uh, would, would go to Chelsea, but I also didn't think Pochettino would go to Chelsea, exactly. you know? Yeah. I I am happy to personally give Kane the benefit of the doubt that he would that he would go to Real rather than um United, that he would go to United rather than Chelsea, that he would go to Chelsea rather than Arsenal, right? Due to his own personal affection for Spurs, but I also think that it is stupid to make that your policy as a football club. Um, he's he's a professional. He's got to look out for himself. He's got to secure the mm. best contract he reasonably can for his family. I don't doubt that Spurs mean a lot to him. But if you're offered, you know, twice as much by Chelsea as you are offered by by United, you've got to make a decision that's right for yourself. I guess in order to have a bit of a... Because uh, we feel quite similarly here. Um, would you sell him to United this summer in order to avoid him going to Chelsea or Arsenal for free? Um, yeah, I think so. Because I think the squad properly rebuilt can beat United in over 38 games. I think would be all right. So I would do that. I just, there is always life beyond these individuals. That Each team, if you're lucky enough to have a, a generation where you have a player who's just, who's incredible and scores all these goals, life does exist post these players. Yeah. You can move on. Barcelona moved on from Messi and they won the league this season. It does happen. It can happen. You rejuvenate and you, and you, you go again. And I think Kane has been such an incredible player player and such an incredible part of a team that ultimately didn't really win anything and um, I'm happy for Kane scoring his um, 30 goals this season but it didn't really help us in the long run but would that 100 million pounds had we given it to Conte or whoever that 100 million pound invested into that team could we have got higher up the league than just Kane's 30 goals I think perhaps we might have I think it's a bit of a risk to keep to just build keep building our team around this one guy I think we need to move on and it's really sad and I'm don't I'm mm. not the most sentimental person when it comes to football but at some point we have to say goodbye and I think we need to say goodbye when we can get the most for it yeah yeah I mean I mean before any of this my position is try really hard to get Kane to sign yeah. the contract in the next six weeks you know for me it's like because personally I feel so optimistic Kane aside about where the club could now be heading under Postecoglou with much much smarter recruitment system with with Levy much more removed from football operations with a structure in place all of the things that I want <laughs> everything I want may finally be coming to this football club I would love to sit down with Harry Kane and say man something special is about to happen to this club Mm. something special and it's going to take a little while to be build for it but it will be clear where we're headed sign a one-year extension and let's have this conversation again in a year because we're fine we we've we fucked up right we made a real mess of the last three years but we're back on track give us one more year to show you that we're heading in the right direction and and, and we can work towards something really special I think so. I think that's a nice way to put it. I, I have a funny feeling that if he stays and if things go well, he will sign an extension. But I think right now, I think right now you'd, you'd have to question his decision making if he wants to stay on for this. I think, I think let him stay and be good this year, Tottenham. Be good and Kane will re-sign a contract. It's just a risky man. Like, <laughs> because like, I do think that, I do think that there will be some teething pains with Postacoglu. I do think that there will be some defensive issues with Postacoglu. We can do these in more detail in a minute. Um, mm. I think that we could have a slower start. 
uh, and then be, you know performances maybe they start to turn around in December where we start to really start to build up a buzz um go for a really good run of form to see out the season end up you know fourth um and you know fourth feeling good feeling optimistic heading in the right direction the football's nice to watch there's no dickheads t- telling the press about what a terrible club we are all that kind of stuff is that enough to, <laughs> for Kane to stay it, it should if, be right but but yeah. can you be confident that it would be I mean you just said it's going to be a tricky start and I just had visions of us being 10th at November <laughs> and and he makes a substitution and everybody boos it and then the Spurs fire him oh don't uh, I can't <laughs> I'm, I'm out I'm, I'm done <laughs> if we do that man I can't I can't take it anymore what makes you, um, you, you mentioned there the defence, what concerns you about the defence? Okay, so um, in Scotland, Celtic have all of the money, all of the player mm. talent, all of the ball, all of the time, and they also go about their tactical setup is to further enforce them having all of the ball all the time. So they they dominate every single game from start to finish. Um, and whenever they lose the ball, they immediately counter-press you know, like we saw under Pochettino, win the ball back and they go again and they go again and they go again. They have this this motto, which is we never stop, right? I think that um, the counter-pressing system that Celtic use in order to enforce that is a little uh, naive, is a little um, basic. Okay, It's a 4-4-2 high press. It's quite man-to-man. They look to move you over into a wide area and go man-to-man in the wide area. Um, the centre midfielders are very aggressive. I think that, and we kind of saw this in their run in the Champions League, if you do that to a good ball-playing team, um, they're going to find solutions to build up through your midfields and counter-attack into space, right? And also, like we talked about the thing with Stones, we're not doing the, um, I very much doubt, maybe Romero, no, uh, we're not going to be doing the John Stones <laughs> thing. Right. So sometimes we're going to lose the ball and the other team are going to punt the ball down the wing and they're going to send a fast winger after the ball and they're going to score on the counter-attack. It's just going to happen sometimes. You know, that's how teams like this concede goals. And I think that it will happen a fair amount, at least to begin but that's, with. But that's life anyway. Yeah. And I, I think I think what we saw from um, Pochettino when he moved from Southampton is he took the same principles that he had there and, and they conceded a fair few goals. Mm. And then he just implemented it as Spurs with better players. Um, it took I, a while, right? The... It took a while, yeah. It took a season, really, because we had that first season where he got rid of the Kabul lot. Mm. So, it's, yeah, it did take a season there. But I think in the Premier League, Man City, Arsenal, Liverpool are high-pressing teams. They'll press you high. Newcastle, Newcastle don't. Brighton, we need to see what happens this summer with McAllister and Caicedo, those kind of guys. Villa don't press. They, not really, anyway. The, the Villa aren't, so Villa are a high-pressing team. Brentford, Fulham, the rest of them. So I, I think it could translate. I think it could translate. Obviously, we'd have to adjust against the real elite teams yeah. in the league. But I think it could translate elsewhere across the Premier League. Obviously, Chelsea will be, a. I imagine, if Pochettino hasn't sold his soul completely, will be a high-pressing team as well. Yeah, imagine. <laughs> Imagine if he just plays like awful counter-attack, getting results with Chelsea. Just hires a big man and just puts it up to Lorenzo. Yeah, 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 no. Um... So that doesn't worry me. That that doesn't worry me there because you can only you can only play against what you what you play against. So you have to adapt that way. And perhaps the pressing doesn't need to be as organized because Ross County are terrible. Yeah. But I do agree there will be a bedding in period. Um, I just hope it's not too muddy and messy because because I think whereas Conte and these other guys, they come from a position of, of, of reputation and power. He's come from Celtic and I do think patience will be a little bit thin on the ground for him. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think we might go through an era of like... Um, like who do Tottenham think they are trying to dominate games? They haven't got the squad for it. Postecoglou doesn't have the experience for it. They think that they should have all of the ball all the time, um, mm. but you can't do that in the Premier League. You, and 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 then in a year's time that will be silly because we'll be able to do it. But I think that I think that we will draw and lose games early on, getting counterattacked on. Um, and I think that we just have to try and be calm and ride it out a bit. Yeah. Okay. All right. Do we have any questions? A lot of the questions that I put up on here, we kind of addressed um, elsewhere. Um, so cu- players currently on the outs, do you think can make a comeback? So um, this is the report just shared now. Is this from? Um, 
This is from the Times. So Lucas Moore has been released and is expected to be followed at the door by Hugo Lloris, Ivan Perisic, Ryan Sessegnon, Davinson Sanchez and Javik Tanganga, as well as some of the nine players who have been on loan this season. Um, <laughs> the future of Tanguy and Domblay, we talked about Domblay, the club record signing, who's not played for generally to be resolved. Others returning from loan spells include Harry Winks. So Harry Winks has the right profile as the number six, but his quality is just not there. He's done well on loan at Sampdoria. Let's make a deal, you know? Let's make that happen. Yep, agree with that. Giovanni Lo Celso. Um, he's the interesting one. Yeah. Because I think he's interested because he still holds value. I think his loan, his, his time out on loan has been successful enough for him to command the value. Yeah. And I'm also interested, despite going in on him multiple times back when he was hmm. playing for us, I'm also interested to see how he can fit into this. Because I still think there's some potential there. I think he, I think his profile works, but then I also think he he's holds value. So I don't know whether Emery would be interested in bringing him to Villa. Yeah, yeah. So, this is, so he impressed um, on loan, especially last season at Villarreal. Um, under Emery um, this season he's done okay not as well but the good news is that Emery has left Villarreal who can't afford him and gone to Villa who can <laughs> right mm. uh, so maybe there's a sale there but yeah you're right profile wise think of Gila Celso as being a player who's kind of a number 10 kind of a number 8 that is that is the role that the two players play in the in the four three three that that Hatate and O'Reilly play um, for Celtic. So um, could be a fit there, but also we've got to move some players out. So if a good bid comes in, I'm kind of open minded. I th- I think what I also quite like about Lacelso is he's very different from Basuma and Spentaker mm. and Shoibia. So he's he is a little bit it's a little bit more yeah like you said a number ten. So I think he's the one uh, Postacoglu will take the longest and hardest look at. I think the other names you listed there they're they're finished. No, I can gone. never see Region Region or Sessignon stepping into. No. Um, a central midfield role ever. So you've got uh, Brian Hill, who um, I think we talked about before, potentially having a gap um, on the left wing. Brian Hill for me um, is a really, really good squad option because he can play both the wide left and the wide right role. Mm. Good crosser, but he isn't quite of the brilliance of the first 11 player that I think that we want for that role. So for me, Brian Hill is, is a really good sort of bench player to back up both sides, but also let's invest in a, you know, outstanding first choice left winger. If, if that's the gap that we have left there. Joe Roden probably needs to move on from the club at this stage. I did a thread um, on Twitter the other day talking about Joe Roden, Kim Min Jae, how they um, were sort of both hot prospects that we were interested in back in the summer of 2020. And they both had very different career trajectories. Um, and how did you read this thread? Did you see this? No, no, okay. I didn't see this. So basically my, my position is like, you've got these two really promising 23-year-old centre-backs. One's in the championship, one's a Korean playing in, in China. Um, mm. And uh, we go for what's probably the safer option in the championship, standout defender, and we bring him in and he doesn't play. And he regresses and we um, we play defensive football under successive managers and he doesn't play and we're quite dysfunctional as a side and he he plays that one game in the conference league or whatever and looks terrible in the central centre-back role uh, and since then he's gone on loan to Huen where he sort of got a run of games but it wasn't great and now he's out of the team and there's a better player in his place right meanwhile Kim and Jay remained where he was playing in the Chinese league for an extra season then moved to Fenerbahce where he was immediately first choice and really impressed there then moved to Napoli where he's won the league and is Serie A different of the year and my position is like okay maybe Kim Min Jae was always destined to be one of the best centre-backs in the world maybe Joe Roden never had what it took to take the step up and also there was a thing about how he picked up an ankle injury in his final year at Swansea and that actually maybe really set back his 1v1 defending and we didn't pay enough attention to that um, but also maybe they were just shaped by the circumstances that they played and maybe Kim Min Jae developed because he played consistent first team football that entire time um, and maybe Joe Roden stagnated and regressed because he stopped playing football and lost all his confidence um, how you how you pick between those two players as a scout is a tough call for me I liked Kim Min Jae because he was sort of an interesting outside shout whereas yeah. I thought Joe Roden was the safer bet I think that it, Joe Roden, it, it just stinks of a safer bet. They've just taken a look at a guy who's playing in China and just gone, no, no, we can't go with that. Let's go with something a bit, bit more proper. And they, yeah, they've gone for the, the, the Brit. 
Yeah, as it, you you mentioned um you mentioned purple and gold earlier. The purple and gold accounts are are using the reason I made this one is because they're using this comparison mm. to say, look, Levy got it wrong again. We went for <laughs> we went for Joe Roden when we should have gone for Kim and Jay, but I fucking bet yeah, of course. <laughs> I fucking bet if we'd bought a blade from China at the time, yeah. they'd have given him the most shit. Why why are we going for this guy? We should get Joe Roden from the championship. He's doing really well at Swansea, yeah. you know. So for uh, sure. having it both All ways. The the regular tweets would have come out, he's just doing it to sell shirts in China. It's um, <laughs> yeah, in, in, in South Korea. We're getting that for Bottagogli, by the way. We're getting all we're just trying to get the Australian market. I mean, like, how many people live in Australia? It's, like, mostly desert, no? There's, like, a, a couple of big cities. I don't think when people, when, when global brands sit down, they go, right, well, that, cor- that market we haven't cornered is Australia and Greece. Let's, mm. let's try and hit them up with some Spurs stuff. No. I think, um, I don't think it's a little bit unfair that Postacoglu's nationality is being used as a stick to beat him with. I don't, fair enough, he's not come from um, like a football traditional country, Spain, Italy, um, South America. I'm not saying England because as an, English, as an Englishman ever won the Premier League. So it hasn't come from like a hotbed of, um, of, of football history. But football now has become such a global game that eventually it's going, to, it's going to happen. There will be individuals who manage from different countries that break into the kind of elite top level spaces. You uh you want to know about Postecoglou's uh football heritage? So his dad, yeah, his, his dad <laughs> that's was, a very uh, Mourinho line. Yeah, 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 yeah. His his dad was a uh, an athlete of some kind. Was he a footballer? Uh, I think that's right. But basically, um, he's uh he's a Hungarian descendant. He was um Postecoglou says he was coached by Puskas in Australia, and that's I mean, where he go. and that's where he gets his four three three from. And that's where he gets his probably the, his idea of a possession game from. Obviously, um, massively, massively developed from from the ideas back back then under under Pushkas. And um, Pushkas never really succeeded as a as a coach, particularly. But that's that's I think that's the school of football that that Postecoglou is working from. So that's why there's a, a coach that's popped up in Australia, basically. There you go. Okay. Do we have any more questions? Let's take a quick glance. Oh, um, okay. If all goes to plan, Richardson asks this. If all goes to plan with Ange, which Celtic players, if any, would you might suggest to be able to both make the jump in quality to the Premier League and would also make sense in terms of first team squad or needs? So, um, yeah, I mean, like coaches, the, the player quality jump from, um, from SPL to Premier League is, is, is very significant. Um, in the past, I've been quite keen on odds on Edouard, who is now sort of an okay squad player at Palace. Um, I had I had big big ideas for him. Uh, I don't regret them. Um, and I also mentioned earlier how Callum McGregor is like the ball playing number six um, for Celtic, and he just couldn't do that for us. Mm. It's it's a big leap. Um, I think that Jota, who I mentioned as their sort of dribbly winger, is is an okay potentially an okay option. And then also the other one for me, I think, would be Hitate. Um, Japanese number eight slash number 10. Um, again, as a sort of squad player, because while we're still working out what formation we want to play, how we want to set up, he could be someone who can come in and out the team and fulfill that specialist role um, that we don't really have in the squad. Um, and it's sort of like pretty technically gifted and, and can, you know, basically arrives in the box for, for chances and, and assists. So yeah, maybe, maybe Hitate and Joshua are just sort of squad options to sort of bed the time over, but I don't think either of them are, I don't see either of them as being stars who would be like locked on first. No, I want, I want to ask about Furuhashi because he's the guy that's going, gone in and just smashed in the goals. Mm. Well, he's their number nine. <laughs> Yeah. So the thing with him, so again, he's the profile. He's the number nine. He runs in behind and he scores goals. And if you're looking for a, no, a guy who runs in behind and scores goals, we've got Sun. And Sun is just ten times the finisher that Kyojo could ever dream of being. Um, so for me, I mean, I'm not not saying that Kyojo hasn't done a good job. I just think that that we have that profile of a much better quality. And if you think that Sun doesn't suit playing number nine, then I think that Richarlison is a better option who can also run in behind a lesser rate and has more to his game and can bring others into play and can head the ball and stuff. So um, I don't think Kyojo's um, one for me. Yeah, I, I, looking at their squad, there's no name really that stands out for me. I don't think I don't think it's anyone really that he's that he's going to take from them. You don't want Cameron Carter-Vickers back after we spent nine years getting him off his book. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's homegrown and he has, he, he has both passports, so that would count, but it's, we're not in Europe, so it doesn't really matter. He's young. No, he's not. He's kind of English. Uh, 
it would be nice for him to come back. But no, I I, I think um, I think bringing any player from Celtics going mm. to raise a couple of eyebrows. Yeah, I uh, I if if possible, like I'd really really like to bring Jota or Hatate with me, um, and we can get them in like the sub twenty maybe sub 15 million range, then I'm like, yeah, okay, mm. they could be like a good option to have in the squad, but they're taking up a non-homegrown spot. So um, I'm not too, I'm not too interested in, in Celtic players. No, me neither. And I don't know enough about J-League talent, but I know that Mitoma came from there and he's fucking ridiculous. He's probably my, my top number one first pick for our left winger, but I doubt we can afford him to be honest. No, he's way out of our league. I, I remember back in when we first played him at home. Uh, away. You loved him. I loved it. He just came off the bench and there was just something that I was just like, wow, the, the, the something, I've got to say it, something about the way he moved. Oh, yeah. And I'm so, I'm so drawn to, to these players that have that little bit of, little bit of oomph, a little bit of swish about yeah, how man. they just had to move across the pitch. And I, I think this is what I've spoken many times. This is, I think, why I hate um, Hjoibier, because he just doesn't have it. But yeah, someone like that would be, would be lovely to see. Yeah, I went to, um, I went to Brighton away. The season just ended with um, James from Planet FPL. And as Matoma was coming off the bench, he's like, oh, that, that's Matoma. He's really good. I'm like, who? <laughs> oh, my days. He is really good. <laughs> so I think we, before we go, I think we need to, we've talked about it a little bit, but I think we need to talk about a little bit more about your video. Okay. Tell us, um, tell us about Destiny. What did, what did you look at and why should people go and have um, a watch? So I, I tried to, because he's quite a weird player. His role is very strange. So we had to look at a full game, or, you know, compilation of all of his moments in a, in, a, in a particular game against Atalanta to get a view for what he's like across the span of 90 minutes. Um, and you, yeah, you begin to develop this very weird profile of a guy who plays left wing back for a very defensive team. And then when he's on the ball, he tries to carry it up through midfield and then combine for a one-two before arriving in the box to score. And there's not really many players like that in the history of football, right? We've had, at this club particularly, goal-scoring wing-backs, right? You've had Matt Doherty. He's about arriving mm. at the far post. We've had Ryan Sessegnong. He's about arriving at the far post. Um, we've been linked to Denzel Dumfries, who arrives at the far post. But Yudoji isn't even a far post arriver. He's a middle-of-the-box arriver, right? He he becomes Frank Lampard in, in the final third. Um, and he's also an aggressive defensive wingback. So he's a very strange player. So we try to outline what that looks like. Um, but then I, there's this concept that I go over and over again. You mentioned it earlier, kinesthetic. He has, I believe that he has a significant kinesthetic advantage. It's something I talked about in this podcast before with regards to why Lucas Mora plays the way he does <laughs> and also why Messi plays the way he does. Um, I realize now that I could have just said he's got really, really fast reaction speed, <laughs> right? That's what it means. He's, he's got, he reacts really fast to things. And for me, that means that he's incredibly gifted. He's incredibly talented. He has a lot of tools at his disposal. And I think that potentially, not super confidently, but potentially he could remold himself to be an inverted fullback like Boston yeah. Cogley likes to play them. Um, there's still some worry there defensively because he doesn't have the defensive awareness that you typically want for a, for a, for a fullback in a back four. But in possession, yeah, maybe. Maybe he could develop there. Um, but even if he is just like a carries on being this weird profile that he is, he's a tremendous talent. He really is. Yeah, I, I don't want to give away the video. People should just go and watch it. Um, but when you looked at Poro, you, you nailed Poro so in terms of like what scares you, what worries you about him. Is there anything that worries you about Destiny? Um, I guess what worries about Yudoji is that he doesn't currently fit that inverted fullback profile, that we already have Poro on our books. He doesn't fit that profile. Mm. Um, I guess my worry would be if he can't adapt his game to being an inverted fullback or if we end up like trying to play with wingbacks, he also doesn't suit being a guy way over on the left touch line trying to cross the ball in. He has he never crosses, right? Yeah, so, I noticed that, yeah. Yeah, so he like he it, uh, the talent is is through the ceiling um pretty much with him. I think defensively playing in the back four is is just a sort of a base level worry and the other thing would be trying to mold him to something else and that not working. Yeah, he doesn't get in this in the in, in Italy international team because they have Di Marco in front of him, who's yeah. an absolute cross spammer. Yeah. So um, that's part of the reason why he's not playing for Italy, the the, the senior team at the moment. But I, I like the way he's a bit more precise with his cutbacks and, and involved. And um, I do have a feeling that 
Perhaps this is me just second guessing the masses, but I've a funny feeling that people think he's going to be this lightning, super exciting forward playing wing back kind of like a like bit Poro. like Poro. Yeah. yeah. And people are just thinking that, oh, he's this young, fast guy. He's going to be like that. But he's not. I think he's a lot more well, I think he's a lot more rounded, but there's a lot in him that I like and people should go watch the video. All right. Enjoy your lunch. You have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nate If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork, and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Subs. We love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. 